Welcome to the Dear Rochester Retire Well Podcast with David Pulsini from Six Point Financial Partners. In this podcast, find your path towards a brighter financial future with David as your guide as he helps individuals, educators, and healthcare professionals explore ways they can build wealth while minimizing risk using a multifaceted, comprehensive approach to personal finance. Are you ready to take the first step towards a brighter financial tomorrow? Let's get started. Investing is what people usually think of when they consider financial advisors, and that's true. Advisors do help with the investing of their clients' accounts and make sure those investments match the client's goals. Many times, though, financial advisors turn to professional asset managers to help with the investing. And these are the people who closely track the markets and choose, hopefully, the right stocks to invest in. In this episode, David Pulsini of Six Point Financial talks with Peter Anderson of Anderson Capital Management. Peter has managed money for a wide range of clients since 1993. His experience includes managing separate accounts and more than 10 mutual funds throughout his career. He writes for Forbes magazine about general markets and investment recommendations, regularly appears on CNBC and Fox Business, and has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Financial Times, and Market Watch. Peter has an MPA degree from Harvard, and he holds an MS in physics from Yale. That is quite the background, David. Thank you, Patrice. I am really looking forward to catching up with Peter today as financial advisors. We've talked about this before. Part of our role is to choose the fund managers and investments that are in alignment with our clients and their and our clients' goals. Uh, one of the funds that we have been using with great success is the Weathermark strategy run by Peter, who we're lucky enough to have on today. The performance has been great. And I think you will realize why after hearing Peter talk, maybe we'll get into Bitcoin, Peter, maybe we'll get into Tesla. I'm not sure yet. Maybe even some pot stocks. I don't know. But, and something that is important and I, and I love this is people that are trying to do it themselves. And I will just say this, after you listen to this, if you think you can do what Peter does, please reach out to me immediately. And one thing, one, one quick disclaimer, it's, it's very easy to get lucky in an up market. And I know Peter will agree with that, but having long-term sustainable performance, that's the tricky part. But Peter has been able to do that and have great success. So let's get right into it with Peter. And Peter, I'll just start with this. For the, for the average listener out there, what is it that you actually do? Well, thanks for having me on, Dave. And, uh, you know, that is the primary question really in our business. I like to think of it in the most general sense is I help people. You know, some people think of portfolio managers and stock investors and stock analysts as people that are somewhat inward and analyzing things. And, and of course, they do a lot of analysis, but why are we doing this? And the reason we're doing this is we're trying to help people that trust us with their investments, their, their funds that they've worked so hard to achieve, inc- make it increase in value. That's the simplest way I can describe it. I would describe that when my children were very young and they asked me what to do, you know, what I do. It's very abstract, really. I mean, they see people laboring and uh, construction jobs, things like that. And then when they see their dad sitting at a desk thinking, it's really hard to extrapolate, you know, what what really does that translate to? And that's what it translates to. And so the way I do that, of course, is the more interesting aspect of what I do. And so the way I do things is I try to find stocks that simply are undervalued 
and I think they're worth more and that they will go up over time. That's a very simple summary, but you can imagine behind that simple summary, there's a lot of complexity, a lot of hard work, a lot of worrying about, have I picked the right stocks? Uh, do I have the right holding period? And all those things that frankly, I'm delightful and very thankful that I can do this kind of work because it, I've just, I've found over the years, I'm just naturally wired for this kind of work. That's cool. The, so I think the average person out there, when they think of a stock trader is thinking of like the guy running up on wall street and holding something up and buy this or sell that, that, that is not what you do, right? That's correct. I mean, there's a whole food chain, if you will, of wall street from the stock order taker in that image that you just described to us to the, per the bankers that do the IPOs, the initial public offerings, to the analysts that look and tear apart all the spreadsheets of uh, financial results. And then there's somebody like me that kind of is a compendium of all those things, right? Because I need to look at everything, order flow, how the stock is trading, uh, what analysts think about it. And most importantly, in my case at Anderson Capital, what I think about it. When you hire me as a manager, I don't really rely a lot on outside influence. I don't follow the crowd in terms of what outside analysts say are the best stocks. Instead, I formulate my own opinion. And you know, over the years, I've come to really appreciate how important that is to my clients, but also to me personally. I mean, it just fits my style better. I am very individualistic in my thought. And here is an area where I do really think it can benefit when you are very independently minded, kind of ignore the noise that's out there. And, you know, Dave, there has been so much noise. I would say as the times have rolled on, <clears throat> the sounds of noises and the volume of that and the amount, of the depth of all the noise has just been steadily increasing. And I would say it's more difficult now than ever to do this job because of all the resources and extraneous noises we have out there. You mentioned your kids a little bit. What, how did you get into this? How long have you been doing it? What's your background? Believe it or not, I like to joke with people, I'm a recovering physics major. So I actually, in uh, college and graduate school, I was studying physics. I had no real interest, obvious interest at the time in investing. I was going to be a research professor in theoretical physics, not experimental. There's a big difference. I was not going to be the person that built the rocket. I was going to be the person that designed the theory behind the rocket. I worked in that field, physics, for about 10 years before I moved over investing. And I'll just tell you a quick story. The reason why I did that, or it was like, as they say, light dawning on Marblehead, was uh, my wife, who I was dating at the time, and remember there were bookstores, there used to be bookstores that everybody would go to, and before a movie, we would go in there and just browse, and we would go our separate ways, and she came to me once, and she said, I always know where to find you when I'm looking, and I said, where's that? And she said, I always go over to the finance and investing area, and I thought, boy, you know, that's something that I guess I have grown an interest in, but I never really was self-aware since then, I have been, it's now over 30 years of doing this kind of work, and I never look back. You mentioned a little bit about building, building the rockets, right? So I'm sure when you're picking your stocks or choosing your portfolio, a guy like you must have a process. 
<laughs> I, I just know that. So it, for, for an average person again, and yeah. I, I don't want to continue to rip on or pick on the people that are trying to do this themselves, Yes, but, yep. but tell us just a little bit about your process and how you are actually choosing a stock and what a big deal that is. Well, you know, the way I have done this is, uh, and here's another differentiating factor that separates me from most stock pickers out there is I didn't start as an equity analyst, a stock analyst. I started as a bond analyst or fixed income. And I spent a good deal of time working in fixed income. For those out there that are familiar with both sides of that fence, the stock side and the, the bond side, two very different ways of approaching things. I was able to move over to the equity side, which is, for me, it was more of an interesting area. But I brought all the tools and training of a bond analyst. And in our business, it's almost like a caste system. You know, if you start out, uh, let, let's use a medical analogy. If you start out as an anesthesiologist, right? And halfway through your career, you say, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be a neurologist. People would laugh at you and say, well, you've spent all your time in one medical practice. Well, that's the equivalent of what I was able to achieve. I hopped over that fence from the bond world to the equity world. Accentuate that for you because nobody out there looks at stocks from the lens of a bond analyst. And I have discovered over years that that is a better way to find undervalued stocks. That is part of my process is I say, okay, I'm gonna look at this company to buy its stock, but I'm also going to take out my toolbox and look at all the tools and use them that a bond analyst would use. And I'll tell you, Dave, what it turns out is it gives you, in many cases, tremendous insight into the health of a company rather than just merely looking at the stock research. For, for our listeners out there, I make jokes about this, but Peter is a very humble guy. I call him the legendary Peter Anderson. So with that comes some, some lore, right? One of them, Peter, and I love this, and I'll ask you if this is true, is... If this is true, please explain this. Before you bought a stock, you might know where this is headed. Is it true that you actually studied ophthalmology to potentially maybe buy one stock? That is uh, very typical of me, yes. I mean, when I go into something... <laughs> I, I go, knew it. <laughs> I go in all the way, Dave. I mean, because I first off, I think of this, you know, I have a great obligation and responsibility when I buy stocks, not for myself, but for others, right? And I always want to make sure that I'm doing the absolute right thing. You know, in my business, um, there's a lot of people out there that I would say are disingenuous about their processes, processes, and I'm not that way. <clears throat> and it probably is because I was trained in physics, which is what? The pursuit of real truth. You know, you can't fudge anything in physics like you can in other subjects or in most sciences, you can't. What I discovered was if I look at something new, an investment that's new, and it's in an area that I'm not that familiar with, you know, most people, especially somebody like Warren Buffett, he would say, oh, I just don't understand that area, so I'm never going to invest in it. Well, that's one way, and it's admirable, and it's honest, but for me, uh, I came across a certain process that I thought was interesting in medicine, and it had to do with eye care. It became so interesting to me that before I actually bought the stock, yes, I did spend several years. I did not enroll in a medical program, but I'm a very curious individual. That's the other thing that's a hallmark of me is I'm 
hardly anything is none of my business. That's what my <laughs> wife <laughs> said to me. I find it, you know, that curiosity, you can make money with that drive of curiosity. I also knew that that field was not deeply covered by my competitors. I joke that at the height of my research in this, I probably, Dave, if you had come in to an ophthalmologist's office, I probably could have posed as one for at least 15 minutes before you probably <laughs> say, hey, I'm not sure about this guy. He knows a little of this business, but uh, I'm not sure he's going to operate on my cataracts. But uh, I did, and uh, I find it delightfully engaging, you know, all these things for me uh, to learn about ophthalmology, to learn about artificial intelligence and how it ties in with semiconductors. I mean, the world, this is a job. Uh, I've said this to other people before that if you like uh, repetition, so let's just use a medical analogy again. Say you're a surgeon, right? You're an internal medicine surgeon. You always do the same procedures, and that's great. I mean, if I would go to a doctor for something, I would want to say, how many have, have you done of this? But my business is not like that at all. I mean, my business is every day is almost something new. So the analogy is, if you're a doctor, it would be like, okay, I'm going to perform uh, appendectomy. And uh, you do the exploration, and you say, huh, the appendix isn't in here. I wonder where it is. That's the equivalent of what we do as, as <laughs> stock pickers is there's, there's no real expected roadmap. You always have to be open-minded and very, very curious about things. And if you're in that kind of personality, then it's a great field to be in. That's great. So after studying ophthalmology for years, did you buy the stock? <laughs> I did. Yes. You did? And, okay. uh, I was very, very excited and it, which is a nice topic of what works and what doesn't work. And don't let any portfolio manager ever tell you that all the things they have picked worked. In fact, if that's the case, I would run faster than I would run away from a, a good portfolio manager that has a good golf score. Okay. Remember I was saying, you don't want to be a good golfer. And in that case, what happened was the timing, it was doing outpatient surgery. And I invested in it about six months before uh, the coronavirus. And as you know, all outpatient uh, elective surgery was canceled and the company just really couldn't thrive. But I will tell you, I still look at that company. I might go back because I know the, the medical procedure that it has. And, and here's another thing I do just before we move on opportunities present themselves no matter where you go. So prior to COVID, I was at a black tie holiday party and I was seated by accident, you know, just the luck of the draw next to an ophthalmologist. What do we talk about over cocktails? Ophthalmology. You know, you get interesting insights that way. Not everything has to be by the book, you know, you asked me about a process. Yes, I have a process, but I also am totally open-minded about finding situations in the least expected place you would find. I mean, that's another important thing about this for me <clears throat> is how do I get my ideas? Well, I have a process, but I also am open to almost any kind of input out there. And so I have found that different circumstances present me into going down a rabbit hole of thought and then applying that aspect to the question of, are there any companies out there that might be involved in that kind of business? Very interesting. So if you had to, I won't say a company, let's pick a, a sector or some okay. area of the market where you are invested right now or that you like yep. for the list, people that are listening, that, what do you like right now? Or what do you have that you like the most? 
Yes. There are themes that I have invested in now. Uh, I like to think of it as that way because I think it's easier for people to understand as opposed to just saying I have a, you know, random smattering of 16 stocks. By the way, you know, that's another aspect of this Weathermark strategy you mentioned. I have deliberately chosen it to or made it to be concentrated, it's called, meaning that instead of having 40 stocks, or 100 stocks, I have 15 to 18 stocks, currently 16. And some of the themes in there are cybersecurity. That's a fantastic area. In fact, I'm, um, in a way, it's a tough way to express this, but it is delightful when you hear about these hackings from an investment perspective, okay? Certainly not from a, a humanistic perspective, but when we saw these major hackings into the U.S. government, it only puts the spotlight on companies that are created to counteract that. I have been an investor in cybersecurity, anti-hacking, those kinds of procedures for over eight years now, and I never see that market eroding, unlike the Pelotons or lockdown stocks where we might say it might be a fad. These stocks and the, this need in society just grows every day. So I love cybersecurity. Another area, a uh, theme that I invest in is animal care. Animal care in the U.S. is almost out of control now in terms of how much we do care for our pets. I personally, on a personal note, we have two cats and they're treated uh, better than myself as a family <laughs> member. And I don't think I'm alone with that. Most people, You're not. Yeah, most people <laughs> that do have pets will say that. There is a huge need for things like pharmaceuticals. So I invest in a company that makes the pharmaceuticals. There's also a huge growing awareness of having pet insurance. And only 1% of the pets out there are covered by insurance. So can you imagine? And so I've invested in a company that has that 1% market share. And lastly, we like to feed our pets maybe even better than we eat ourselves. So I have a company that also has high-end pet food, refrigerated pet food that you would find in your supermarket. These are companies that when I ever go into a dark place and say, uh, you listen to Dr. Fauci and he's saying, well, we're masks for, I don't know, many years in some scenarios and won't be getting together in groups and things like that. I do worry about many other sectors, if they will be able to sustain that continuous lockdown. But I know the companies I just mentioned, the themes I just mentioned now, they're enduring themes. I mean, they're never going to go away, whether there's a lockdown or an unlocking or a decrease in our population, whatever happens, these companies will still have an enormous demand going forward. Peter, do you own Bitcoin? Oh. <laughs> that is like the anti-Peter uh, okay <laughs> I, I know you have some thesis right some yes yeah I don't know too much about your thesis but I know you do have thesis on different things Bitcoin Tesla yes I'll go back yeah. to the pot stocks because I said that before <laughs> yes yeah right what, so, what do you, go ahead Bitcoin, it has been you know now remember I have I feel and I'm trying to say this modestly, I feel infinitely qualified to opine on Bitcoin because I was a mathematical physics major, okay? I, I did a lot of advanced mathematics and that actually helped me. Remember, I was just talking about cybersecurity. That has a lot to do about encryption and encryption is extremely mathematical. 
with Bitcoin, there is a ton of mathematics behind that. Most, I would say 95% of people don't realize that. And the mathematics behind it is really, really cumbersome and difficult to understand. I pose this question to most people. How could we have a currency that only 5% of a population at, at best really understands how it works? Will it be able to buy you the proverbial cheeseburger? And will the person on the street that might be asking for donations with a tin can or tin cup, where are you going to put the Bitcoin? So I say that a little bit tongue in cheek and certainly respect of, respect of, respectful of people that are in that economic strata. But the point is, currency has to be understood by everybody, the richest and the poorest. And Bitcoin will never get that way. The hysteria that's going on, I attribute that to the, I would call them the intellectual, professorial academics that like to think and tinker with mathematical crossword puzzles. And it's very stimulating for some people to think of it at that high level. But for some reason, it has gotten tremendous momentum. And I think part of that also has to do with the press. You know, coming in 2021, they wanted to have new themes, uh, new exciting themes for investing. And we saw, curiously, in January, the refocus on Bitcoin. So I would say, if you want to invest in Bitcoin, instead of going to a gambling casino, fine, but put it in that category and expect that you could very seriously lose 100% of your investment. I'm not saying stay away from it, but if you put it in that playful category, sure, you can brag to your friends at cocktail parties that you're also one of the club members, which is a lot of the psychology too, is I think people want to also be included in the latest fads, but I, I certainly have nothing positive to say about Bitcoin. <laughs> so I think the answer is no, Peter does yes, not own Bitcoin. Long-winded <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> what, this is a very quick question that I have a follow-up for this. Okay. What, it goes into how we actually make money as fund managers. What was the performance of the Weathermark Fund in 2020 approximately? Yeah. Yes. I know it's different on different based on when you invested yeah, and so exactly. forth. Exactly. So. But let's say for somebody that has been fully invested, it was up on net of fees 41% last okay. year. Yeah. So that is what I want to ask about because in, mm -hmm. and we're trying to teach people different things on this yes. podcast as well. But one of the one of the things is in our industry, I don't think people understand how we get paid or how they're paying us right. fees. So if you, when you say net of fees, you said it perfectly. Net of fees 41%. Mm -hmm. How does a guy like Peter make money from managing these stocks? Yes, good point. And uh, what we do is we charge what's called a management fee, which is a, a small percentage of the funds that you entrust me to manage. If the fund goes up, if the amount goes up, then my fee goes up proportionally with that. And if the fund goes down, then my fee goes down. It's not a fixed fee. It's a variable fee, but it's dependent on the size of the portfolio. And I think that's the clearest way to do things because uh, at the end of every year, you can look and you can say, all right, gross, which means before performance, this is the number I've had, and then net of performance. Now, I haven't mentioned this to anybody, so you're the first person that all I'm right. going to disclose this to, but... A client came to me a while ago and said, you know, Peter, I'm not in this investment world. Uh, I'm not sure 
how to really measure people. And I want to ask you this. Has anybody ever looked at a fund manager and said this? So you start off in January 2020 with, say, 15 stocks. And say you don't do anything with the 15 stocks. You just leave them in the portfolio and you put it under your bed. And at the end of that year, you open it up and you say, oh, I wonder what's this, what this is worth. You compare that to an actively managed fund, meaning you start with the same stocks, you hire Peter Anderson to manage it, and he makes decisions and he might sell some stocks and buy some other stocks. He might pose as an ophthalmologist for three years <laughs> and things like that. But at the end of that year, you say, okay, has there been any value added to Peter Anderson's picking the stocks and managing this versus if I just did this myself, I did no changes at all. That is a very, very perceptive question, Dave, because it really is asking, it's a roundabout way of asking, hey, what am I paying you for and are you doing any good to the portfolio? And so we just did 2020's returns I, I came out the report card. I hired an outside firm to do this and they gave me an A plus on this because I think I gained 16 percentage points over the, what we would call set and forget, you know, the, the portfolio that you put under your bed. So the resounding answer is yes. Uh, a year like that, I added really good value. I uh, hope to do that in the future, but I think it's a very cool way for any of your listeners that are with portfolio managers now with accounts. I guarantee you that question is going to be answered by no, we don't do that. And, and maybe urge them to do it because it's a fairly simple analysis. Most big companies have the quantitative muscle to go back and do that. And it's very, very insightful to see what the results are. Yeah. So again, for the listener out there, if, if you see that Peter's portfolio, this is just an example, and this is for any statement and any investments, right, Peter? So like mm -hmm. if somebody sees they did 41%, which was great last year, they really may have done, again, just for easy math, and it's mm -hmm. not 1%, but 42%. Mm -hmm. Yes. The fund managers or advisors, yep. whoever's involved, they take 1%, you mm -hmm. see 41. Mm-hmm net of fees. That's what that means. And that is on any investments in the retirement accounts, 401ks, 403bs, mm -hmm. all the things that you're doing, unless you're picking your own individual stocks, there's some fee attached to it. And that's why we get those big books every year that nobody reads called the prospectus. Now, most of them are through email and everybody just deletes it. We used to put them in the recycle bin, but that is how we get paid. And I know nobody reads it. So if anybody has questions, they can always reach out to us to ask about how, how advisors get paid. I have one more question and then we'll let you go. I know your okay. time is valuable. And I love talking to you about this because you're always, well, I shouldn't say this. You're, you're optimistic, but you're realistic. You do talk to me and you know this, Peter, we meet with people that say, oh, the market's going to be down 30% this year. You yep. meet with other guys who will say, or, or, or fund managers, the market's going to be up 200% what something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. How do you think, and we'll just use the S and P. Mm -hmm. And when I say the markets, what I mean by that for our listeners, there are many markets. So we, we, we consistently hear as advisors, oh, the market was up today. Yep. And I'll say, well, wh which market are you talking about? So mm -hmm. in this case, let's talk about the S and P 500. Mm -hmm. Where does Peter think it's going to be by the end of 2021 with all this stuff that's going on? I know that's an easy prediction because of the yep. stuff that's yep. going on, right? Yeah. <laughs> very, very easy. Do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the most difficult and a lot of people will actually hedge on that and uh, you know, they won't answer the question, but I'll tell you this, my outlook for the recovery uh, from the virus is 
the most optimistic I think I've ever been in my life. Okay. I also want to say that 2020 was the most difficult period for me to invest in, in my life. So I'm doubly proud of those numbers because to me, it was more difficult. I've been through 2008, Y2K, 9-11, the Russian um, default, uh, hedge funds blowing up, telecommunication, all those things. Okay. Nothing compared respectfully, uh, you know, 9-11, of course, a lot of lives lost, horrible. But in terms of just a pure investment arena, in, in terms of how to pick stocks and where the heck are we in this cycle, 2020 was the worst to do. So hopefully I've gained uh, your confidence that I, I probably knew at least something of what to do in 2020 <laughs> with, with those numbers. So with that in mind, I will tell you this, that the pent up demand. Remember when the virus hit, you know, there was kind of an undertone anyway of fantastic economic growth. So I think that's still there. It's just in hibernation because of the virus. And I, unlike a light switch, there's just going to be a toggle light switch. It's just going to be thrown on. This is more like a dimmer switch because of the rollout of the vaccines. And of course, look, it wasn't perfect and it isn't perfect, but we're going to get there. And when we get there, even the, the thought of finally getting there, in spite of Dr. Fauci's dark recommendations or saying these are possible scenarios, human nature is such, and American human nature is such that we're totally resilient and like myself, I think optimistic, natural optimists, I also want to add that my mentor once said to me, you know what makes a good portfolio manager, Peter, is you have to be two things. You have to be a risk taker and you have to be an optimist. And you, can, you need those two in balance. And of course, you have to have some you know, IQ of some level to do this. But you know, given those things, I'm not a mindless optimist, but I look at the numbers. I look at the pent-up demand of travel, of people naturally wanting to socialize, that we've been in this lockdown period. So all that stuff, and this is more of a psychological component of the answer, Dave, all that stuff is going to be a positive, super positive contributor. And I think by the early summer, we will probably have, or there'll be a lot more talk about herd immunity. People will start reemerging. And I think the market itself will be tremendously strong. I'm looking at at least a 10% year annual return, but more like 15 or 20%. I know that's, I don't think anybody else has gone out on the limb like I have with that uh, prediction, but I do believe that's the case. And we are ready, this is like a coiled spring. We're ready to take off, but we're frustrated by the slow runway that we have to take off on. Well, you heard it there, folks. Uh, Peter Anderson on February 25th <laughs> yes. guarantees. No, I'm just kidding. We can't right, say we that can't in our say business. That we're in our business. I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> but I could talk to you about this all day, Peter. I, I could ask you a million more questions. Maybe we'll do this again sometime. But how That's does it. somebody get in touch with you if they wanted to? Get in touch Absolutely. with Peter. Yes, I do have a mailing list. So I do have a website called uh, just Google Anderson Capital Management. And that's Anderson, the, it's S-E-N, not S-O-N. That's a 
bane of my existence throughout my entire <laughs> life. Everybody defaults to S-O-N, but my name is S-E-N. So that will get you there. And it has all the contact information there. And you can also, if you are interested, get on my mailing list because I do write columns for Forbes magazine and on CNBC and, and Fox Business and things of that nature. So if you'd like to hear more of my thoughts, I'd be delighted to share them with you. And you, my contact information is there, as I said. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. If you want to get a hold of us at Six Point Financial, it's sixpointfp.com, or you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn at David Pulsini Jr. or dpulsini at sixpointfp.com is my email. Thanks again, Peter, for your time. We really appreciate it. And uh, let's keep the optimism going and we'll talk again soon. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the Dear Rochester Retire Well podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Six Point Financial Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Content here is for illustrative and educational purposes only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of Six Point Financial Partners. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, Private Client Services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Six Point Financial Partners or RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, Six Point Financial Partners, and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.